Just Me and My Trauma discusses trauma in all its forms. This could include topics such as sexual assault, drug use, child abuse, violence, gore, and much more. In some cases, names are changed to respect both the deceased and survivors. While comedy may be noted, in no way is it meant to disrespect any individual or situation. Humor is our coping mechanism. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, trauma llamas. Hi, trauma llamas. This is Jesse, And this is Kelsey. I'm just going to say, you say it, and then I'll say it, and then I'll put it together. <laughs> and this is Just, just Me and, and My Trauma. trauma. Fantastic. Wonderful. <laughs> Wonderful. All right. So, welcome to today's show, where this welcome. week... Well, this this entire year has been a shit show. <laughs> yes, do do elaborate on that. The whole whopping eight, eight days that we have been into this, it's a <laughs> shit show. So... On January 2nd, which was a Tuesday, I had a pipe burst. That was my fault. It's our outside water. I don't have to deal with it until summer because it has a valve for shutoff. Not a big deal. Uh, January 4th. Sit down. Getting ready to... is the best I have felt since I've started working two jobs. I was so excited. Sat down. Started getting ready to write for the episode. Dogs got into something, so I stood back up, fixed whatever they were doing, sat back down, started looking up the information, and the heater starts making a funny noise to, to the extent that my son turns and looks at me. Oh, no. <laughs> and I look over at the heater, and I'm all, son of a bitch. <laughs> so I run over to it, hoping that I can catch it before it seizes, but it did not. I did not. I am not that fast of a runner, and my house isn't very big. <laughs> Um, so my heater went out, then it gets better guys. It gets so much better. So then on Saturday, my son is supposed to go to a Yu-Gi-Oh tournament, which his bio dad is taking him to, and he decides not to wake up. So then I am scrambling to find a son, a ride for my son from Pleasant View to Layton. Oh yeah. That's about 20 miles for some of you guys. And uh, I am stuck at work. His other dad is stuck at work. So thankfully, a friend of mine was like, I will totally take him for you. I'm like, cool. So while, we're, while he is waiting for a friend to come and pick him up, my son calls me and says, Mom, how do I turn off the oven? Guys, my oven's pilot light hasn't been lit for two years. It's an <laughs> auto start pilot light. Oh, I didn't light. know that part. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I couldn't text the full situation to you That's in fair. text. That's fair. So, um, the pilot light has not been lit for two two years. Okay, um, it's an auto start pilot light, but it never restarted when I reset the oven. Whatever, I don't care. I have a really nice fancy toaster oven that cooks everything for me, so I don't care. And so for the last two years, I've just been using my toaster oven for everything. Well, one night, um, I had cooked like a 
little encore meal for me and Eric. And it's just like a family sized meal. And I put the remnants of it in the oven. So that way if Eric wanted the rest of it, the dogs couldn't get it. Well, so my oven decided to relight itself and proceeded to turn on and warm up. I don't know how long it was on for. No idea. Um, so Eric asks me, how do I turn it off? I said, well, you go to the middle thing and you turn it off. And he's like, mom, it's already off. I was like, no, it's not. Like, if it's on, it's on. <laughs> he's like, no, mom, it's not. But the house is filling up with smoke. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. The alarm detector or the fire detector's going off, everything. So I call my friend. I was like, hey, how far out are you from my house? And he's all like, I, I still haven't left yet. Because I'm waiting for my car to warm up. I'm all like, well, my house might be on fire. So the sooner you could get there, the better. <laughs> so I am with a client. I am putting foils of bleach in a client's hair. We are four foils into this process when this call comes through. So I have to proceed to pull out her foils. She goes home and rinses out. Thank you so much for being an amazing client. Because I got a bit snippy towards the end of that conversation. <laughs> I'm like I don't I gotta go um so I get home and my friend beat me to the house by like three or four minutes and he said he goes I didn't know you were on your way home I said I didn't know if my house was on fire so here I am and he goes well the way that the smoke bellowed out of your house when Eric opened the door I thought your house might be oh my god yeah um so that Encore meal that my ADHD brain forgot about was in there still. Mm. And it, that's what the smoke was coming from. It was charred. In fact, when he went to remove it from the oven, it just crumbled onto the floor. Oh, good. So the any, only way we were able to get the oven to shut off was he had to flip it all the way to completely to on, like to full blast, and then flip it off, and it finally kicked off. Well, now that my oven's possessed, I've unplugged it and turned <laughs> off the gas to it. So no more possessed oven. And my heater got fixed today. So hopefully, Yay! with all luck, um, we'll be good. In fact, that's why me and, re me and Kelsey are not recording in the same room again this year, this week, is because I had to sit here and wait for the HVAC guys. So, <laughs> I mean, it's fine. I feel like that's a very valid reason to not come. I agree. However, when you do come next week, you will be ethically saged. <laughs> I will be ethically... Oh, saged. Yes. I yes. will be saged. I'm saging the... I am saging the shit out of my house this week. Yep. Yep. And I will sage you. <laughs> in, fact, I, in fact, my plans for today were to sage my house... But then the HVAC people are like, oh, we can come today. And I was like, well, fuck, I'm not going to sage my house before they get here. Right. Because <laughs> then they won't be able to breathe either. <laughs> so, yeah. And next week when I record with you, I will have our stickers. Yay, stickers. Yep. Exciting. I know. I'm, I'm very excited. Um, uh, yeah, I'm excited to put one on my cup. Me, too. And I'm one of the basic bitches that have a Stanley Cup, but mainly it's because of the color. 
is just so pretty, and I saw it checking out at, at Lowe's one day, and the color was so pretty, and I was like, oh, I must have it. <laughs> I have a Stanley knockoff because I'm a cheap basic bitch. Hey, listen, I had a Stanley knockoff before I had this one. Stanley knockoffs oh. are better. <laughs> Ooh, it's a pretty color. It's it's green. It matches it matches the llamas. <laughs> <laughs> you have purple. I have green. Oh, you're right. Oh my god, yeah. I didn't even realize. I mean, if you think about it, that's why our llamas are green and purple. <laughs> that's yeah. Okay, I you have a point. <laughs> so uh, uh, the puppy's being a terrorist. Yes, my. Oh, God. I don't know. Like, I took her and my other dog, Finn, I took them to play in the snow earlier today. And I don't know if she snorted it like it was crack cocaine or something. But ever since then, she has been, like, literally doing parkour in the house. Like, I don't even... uh, Parkour! (laughs) Like, constantly. And then when she's not doing parkour, she's trying to chew on something. (sighs) <sighs> Miranda and Prentice will parkour off of you. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, try getting parkoured by a 50-pound dog. That's fun. Yeah, Nico tries to parkour off the cats, and <laughs> you have to imagine Pod being the grumpy man that he is was not happy with that, and you hear her running really hard, and then you can hear her leap, and then... <laughs> so she, she will d- learn. She, yeah, she hasn't uh, messed with Pod anymore. Can't say the same about the other cats, though. <laughs> yeah, she, uh, she'll learn, and if not, she won't. And it'll just be cheap entertainment for the rest of your life. Very true. Yeah. Oh, hi, Nico. Oh, you mean, oh, look at you being a sweetheart now. One of her ears is starting to stand, and I, it's adorable, and I can't, I want to squish. Okay, so Miranda's, just so you guys know, I have two puppies. She has a single puppy. I have two. <laughs> they are le- They are about a year and a half apart. So I have one that's going to be two, and one will be one this year, in two- 2024. Anyway, Prentice, her ears were really weird and we thought one was going to stand up and one was going to flop because she's because of her breed mix mm-hmm. that didn't happen they they just they're really funky they do whatever they want <laughs> and then Miranda's had some weirdness going on for a while but now hers are normal boxer ears so it's fine Finn's when he was a puppy his were like they just started standing and they were like wide like sitting out wide and then he got fixed and so he had a cone on his head so while his ears were standing, the cone was pushing them together. So for the longest time, like a year, when he his ears would go up to attention, he looked like he had a cone on his head. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Just like a little like a little tent. <laughs> Did he look like he had to have to grow into his ears? Oh yeah, they were humongous. <laughs> James James had those type of ears. <laughs> he'd grow into him he didn't oh, he did no. not his ears are still huge <laughs> did you show james the uh 
I have not showed him his sticker yet. <laughs> I have not. That's exciting. Yeah, guys, he has his own sticker. But remember, you can only, we're, well, we're going to have it made. But he has his own sticker design. So yes. join our Patreon so you can get the Bomb Threat Brother is real. Brom? Brom? What? <laughs> bomb bomb threat? threat Brother is real, yes. <laughs> Just that is <laughs> sticker. <laughs> On the subject of James and my brother and messing up things, thanks to you, Eric now calls my vape juice Bop Juice. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> so, all right. Well, we've oh. gabbed for about 12 minutes. We have. And so today we're going to be talking about childhood trauma, right? Yes. Okay, perfect. <laughs> today, yes. Today's episode is childhood trauma. Um, yes. In all fairness, she's confused by the sheer fact that uh, we were supposed to record three episodes today and we're barely getting to one. So yes. be proud of us. Be very proud. Oh, good. I was just going to ask you, are you going first? Perfect. Yes. All right. Excuse the dogs in the background. Okay. I, so okay. the source, I have a singular source today, and it is the book called The Body Keeps the Score, Brain, Mind, and Body in the Healing of Trauma. Um, it's by Bessel van der Kolk. He was a doctor. Yes, indeed. Um, and this is like one of the most popular trauma books um ever um so if you're looking to start healing your trauma it's a good place to start um so i am going to go into part three where it's the minds of children starts by saying that they go to the children's clinic at the massachusetts mental health center um so, I'm just going to read from here. The children's clinic at the Massachusetts Mental Health Center was filled with disturbed and disturbing kids. They were wild creatures who could not sit still and who hit and bit other children and sometimes even the staff. They would run up to you and cling to you one moment and run away terrified the next. Some masturbated compulsively. Others lashed out at objects, pets, and themselves. Uh, they were at once starving for affection and angry and defiant. The girls in particular could be painfully compliant. Whether oppositional or clingy, none of them seemed able to explore or play in ways typical for children their age. Some of them have hardly developed a sense of self. They couldn't even recognize themselves in a mirror. The reason they were like this is because they had some type of childhood trauma, be it abuse, sexual abuse, neglect, emotional abuse. So what they did was they... They being him and his colleague, Nina, um, decided to create a set of like test cards for children based on pictures that they cut out of magazines. Um, the first study compared 12 to 6 11-year-olds. Wait. 12 6 to 11-year-olds at the children's clinic with a group of children from a nearby school. And they matched them as closely as possible in age, race, intelligence, and family constellation. They included a boy who was severely bruised from repeated beatings by his mother, a girl whose father had molested her at the age of four, two boys who had been repeatedly tied to a chair and whipped, and a girl who, at the age of five, had seen her mother, uh, a sex worker, 
raped, dismembered, burned, and put into the trunk of a car. Jesus. The mother's pimp was suspected of sexually abusing the girl as well. Okay. So this is their control group. <laughs> um, that's, that's one mighty fine control group. Yeah, that's it. Yep. Control. Where? <laughs> yep. The children in the control group also lived in poverty in a depressed area of Boston where they were regularly... God, I can't talk today. Where they regularly witnessed shocking violence. While the study was being conducted, one boy at their school threw gasoline at a classmate and set him on fire. Another boy was caught in crossfire while walking to school with his father and a friend. He was wounded in the groin and his friend was killed. Given their exposure to such high baseline level of violence, would their responses to the card differ from those in the hospitalized children? Oh. Okay, there's two groups. <laughs> there's, the, there's the hospitalized children and then these children from this school who witnessed, like, environmental violence, I guess. Okay. Okay, so, to the cards. One of the cards depicted a family scene. Two smiling kids watching a dad repair a car. Every child who looked at it commented on the danger to the man lying underneath the vehicle. While the controlled children told stories with benign endings... The car would get fixed and maybe died and the kids would drive to McDonald's. The traumatized kids from the hospital came up with gruesome tales. One girl said that the little girl in the picture was about to smash in her father's skull with a hammer. A nine-year-old boy who had been severely physically abused told an elaborate story about how the boy in the picture kicked away the jack so that the car mangled his father's body and his blood spurted all over the garage. So... <laughs> In conclusion, children who are abused in family settings tend to have a very different outlook on life. <laughs> more violent, <Clearly. clears> more <throat> treacherous. Um, and apparently as they told the stories, they got very excited as well as disorganized. So they'd show them a card. They'd get so excited and tell their stories and then became so disorganized that they'd have to like take a break, like take a walk um, and then come back to do the next card. And all of them, meaning the hospitalized kids, um, were diagnosed with ADHD. And all of them were on Ritalin. However, the drug didn't seem to dampen their energy in the situation. In an, on another card, the abused kids gave similar responses to seemingly innocuous picture of a pregnant woman silhouetted against a window. When we showed it to the seven-year-old girl who'd been sexually abused at age four, she talked about penises and vaginas and repeatedly asked Nina questions like, how many people have you humped? Hmm. All right. Yep. Like several of the other sexually abused girls in the study, she became so agitated that we had to stop. A seven-year-old girl from the control group picked up the wistful mood of the picture. Her story was about a widowed lady sadly looking out the window, missing her husband. But in the end, the lady found a loving man to be a good father to her baby. So, again, the difference between, like, the abused child and then the one that grew up in a violent environment. Yeah. Not necessarily in their home and by their family members. Right. Card after card, they saw that even though they were aware of, like, the trouble that could happen based on the picture, the children who weren't abused still trusted in a benign universe. Uh, they could imagine ways out of bad situations. The control group of children seemed to feel protected and safe within their own families. They also felt loved 
by at least one of their parents, which seemed to make a substantial difference in their eagerness to engage in schoolwork and learn. So the ones that weren't abused, they felt better about learning, going to school, and all that fun stuff. They were more motivated and more comfortable in that type of environment Mm -hmm. versus the ones that were abused who probably wanted nothing to do with school because they were probably not in that correct mind state ever. No. And, like, the control group, they had space, like, emotional space to be able to focus on other things that weren't, like, personal. Like, they weren't thinking about, oh, shit, when I get home, this is what's going to happen to me. Right. They were able to focus on what's going on in the moment. Exactly. Whereas the abused children were not able to focus on what was happening in the moment. The response of those hospitalized slash traumatized children were alarming. Um, The most innocent images stirred up intense feelings of danger, aggression, sexual arousal, and terror. So in this study, they didn't select uh, the photos because they had a hidden meaning or anything. They were just pictures. With the study, they concluded that for abused children, the whole world is filled with triggers. As long as they can imagine only disastrous outcomes to relatively benign situations, anyone walking into a room, any stranger, any image on a screen or on a billboard might be perceived as a harbinger of catastrophe. In this light, the bizarre behavior of the kids at the children's clinic made perfect sense. So, when there are adults who have very violent lash extreme reactions to small things that happen it could be because of their childhood and they were raised to believe that everything could turn out to be a catastrophe because of (gasps) trauma so then it goes into um attunement so like mother baby attunement so kind of how we were talking about with postpartum when you don't bond with your baby correctly it's called being attuned so For example, um, mom and baby are in attunement when, like, say they're playing with each other and they're both laughing, they're both happy. And then coming out of attunement is when, like, say, baby pulls mama's hair and mama suddenly goes, ow. And the baby registers that facial expression, that sudden sound, and starts crying. So when moms and babies are in attunement, Basically, like, they're both happy, they're both playing with each other, they're reading the body languages of each other correctly. And things can go seriously wrong when mothers are unable to tune into their baby's physical reality. So, being out of attunement. If a mother cannot meet her baby's impulses and needs, the baby learns to become the mother's idea of what the baby is. So, this is, like, uh, the example they give is when mom and baby are playing and then baby has had enough and starts turning the head away, um, trying to signal that it needs space. And mom keeps, like, getting in the baby's face, keeps trying to play with it, and then the baby starts screaming because it's unhappy. Having to discount its inner sensations, meaning the baby, and trying to adjust to the caregiver's needs means the child perceives that something is wrong with the way it is. Children who lacked physical attunement are vulnerable to shutting down the direct feedback from their bodies, the seat of pleasure, purpose, and direction. So they don't start, they'll grow up thinking something's wrong with them. They need to adjust their needs to meet everybody else's needs instead of what they actually want. 
And in the case that I, you're doing Gypsy Rose, right? Yes. In that case, uh, Gypsy Rose, she wasn't what her mom, mom wanted her to be, which was this sick fucking child. And so she started becoming that child and playing the role because she perceived that her normal self wasn't what her mother wanted. Right. So in regular relationships, secure, there are, in regular relationships between mom and baby, there's a secure attachment, um, which forms a template for children relation, children's relationships. They pick up what others are feeling and early on learn to tell a game from reality and they develop a good nose for phony situations and dangerous people. So they're able to decipher what's real and what's fake. They're able to form empathy. They're able to correctly understand the amount of emotion a situation requires. And they usually become pleasant playmates and have lots of self-affirming experiences with their peers. Abused kids are often very sensitive to changes in voices and faces, but they tend to respond to them as threats rather than as cues for staying in sync. They don't understand the correct amount of emotion for a situation, so they can get very angry, very sad at the drop of a hat. Abused children can easily become defensive or scared. Imagine what it's like to make your way through a sea of faces in the school corridor trying to figure out who might assault you. Um, children who overreact to their peers' aggression, who don't pick up on other kids' needs, who easily shut down or lose control of their impulses, are likely to be shunned and left out of sleepovers or playdates. Eventually, they may learn to cover up their fear by putting up a tough front. Or they may spend more and more time alone, watching TV or playing computer games, falling even further behind on interpersonal skills and emotional self-regulation. Humans' need for attachment never goes away, so most humans simply can't tolerate being disengaged from others um, from any length of time. People who cannot connect through work, friendships, or family usually find other ways of bonding as through illnesses, lawsuits, or family feuds. Anything is preferable to that godforsaken sense of irrelevance and alienation. I know a lot of people are going to ask, like, why didn't Gypsy Rose, like, get out of it sooner? Why did she feel like she still loved her mother and all those fucking stupid ass things that people will ask abused children or people in abusive situations? But it's because we as humans have a biological instinct to attach to people. Like, even as children, we don't have a choice. It doesn't matter whether, like, the parents are loving and caring or distant or abusive. Um, children develop a coping style based on their attempt to get at least some of their needs met. Ch in fact, children whose primary caregiver is unresponsive or rejecting, they learn to deal with their anxiety in two distinct ways. Some seem chronically upset and demanding with their mothers, while others were passive and withdrawn. Um, and this is called... Feeling, but not dealing. So, they know what they feel when they're being, like, neglected or abused, but they don't deal with it. So, they just constantly go through this, either being super angry or withdrawn. So, attachment patterns, because of this, often persist into adulthood. So, anxious toddlers tend to grow into anxious adults, while avoidant toddlers are likely to become adults who are out of touch with their own feelings and those of others. Um, in school, avoidant children are likely to bully other kids, while the anxious children are often their victims. I was an anxious child. <laughs> I didn't even realize I was an anxious child until I read this, honestly. So children who um, had 
caregivers that were the source of distress or terror have no one to turn to and they're faced with an unsolvable dilemma. Their mothers are simultaneously necessary for survival and a source of fear. They can neither approach uh, the secure and ambivalent strategies, shift their attention, nor flee. So they can't approach, shift, or flee. Not knowing who is safe or whom they belong to, they may be intensely affectionate with strangers or may trust nobody. Children who don't feel safe in infancy have trouble regulating their moods and emotional responses as they grow older. Parental abuse is not the only cause of disorganized attachment. Parents who are preoccupied with their own trauma, such as domestic abuse or rape or the recent death of a parent or a sibling, may also be too emotionally unstable and inconsistent to offer much comfort or protection. Say your parent loses one of their parents and it throws them into depression. And then suddenly they're not very attentive to you because they are withdrawn. They, you know, the typical depressive symptoms. Withdrawn, sleeping a lot, not really showing any emotion other than sadness. Um, that can cause disorganization in children and anxiety in children. Um, while all parents need all the help they can get to help raise secure children, traumatized parents in particular need help to be attuned to their children's needs. In your case with Gypsy, what could drive her mom to deliberately hurt or neglect Gypsy? Children become more and more inconsolable, sullen, or resistant to their misattuned mother. So when they're not in attunement, um, they start to believe that they never will be in attunement with their mother. Um, at the same time, the mothers become increasingly frustrated, defeated, and helpless in their interactions because nothing they're doing, like, consoles their child. Once the mother comes to see the child not as her partner in a tuned relationship, but as frustrating, enraging, disconnected stranger, the stage is set for subsequent abuse. Okay. Something I found interesting was how this can cause dissociation. Dissociation is manifested in feeling lost, overwhelmed, abandoned, and disconnected from the world and in seeing oneself as unloved, empty, helpless, trapped, and weighted down. So they even found striking and unexpected, a striking and unexpected relationship between like maternal disengagement and disattunement or misattunement um, with children who start showing signs of dissociation. So if you weren't in tune with your mother, you probably are dealing with dissociation as an adult. Infants who are not truly seen and known by their mothers are at high risk to grow into adolescents who are unable to know and see. If your caregiver ignores your needs or resents your very existence, you learn to anticipate rejection and withdrawal. You cope as well as you can by blocking out your mother's hostility or neglect and act as if it doesn't matter. But your body is likely to remain in a state of high alert, prepared to ward off blows, deprivation, or abandonment. Dissociation means simultaneously knowing and not knowing. So you know what's happening, but you don't know how to deal with it. So basically, children who are abused can't form accurate relationships. Children who are abused can't form accurate relationships with people around them. They learn to attach to people who are not good for them. They are not able to connect the correct amount of emotions with situations. And they learn how to dissociate. So they basically learn how to not cope with things. I think that can lead to your story. But 
before that, we're going to do some gloom breakers. Bum, bum, bum. Yay. I will go first. Okay. All right. My gloom breaker comes from Creepy Encounters on Reddit. So the subreddit Ooh. is Creepy Encounters. Yes. We did one of these two weeks ago. I, 31 female, used to work at a restaurant in my early 20s as a hostess. Back then, I was a people pleaser and didn't have the backbone I have now. During my shift, there was a man in the bar area, which can be seen from my stand, who eventually approached me. He was in his 50s, probably 6'3", muscular, large build, dark hair, and dressed well. When he approached, it started out as small talk. I can't remember the beginning of the conversation... But then he started asking me if I had considered a different job and I said and said I should come and work for him, but wouldn't tell me what he does. He started asking for my phone number. I didn't feel comfortable giving this to a stranger, this stranger, my personal information. Good. So I told him he could call the restaurant and ask for me. I'm there a lot. He didn't like that answer. He continued asking and I gave him the same answer. Finally, I told him I'd give him my email. I gave him a fake email address on a piece of paper, obviously. I made it look real, but I wasn't interested in continuing the conversation because he was very pushy, so I excused myself to the back. I remained friendly and smiled during the entire exchange because this, that was my job. After avoiding him for a while, I saw him going back and forth from the bathroom, eyes darting around the restaurant, head turning every which way. He was clearly looking for me, and I was actively avoiding him. I started to get scared thinking maybe he was trying to kidnap or traffic me or something, which didn't feel like a stretch because of the way our exchange went. I decided to tell my manager he was asking me uncomfortable or he I decided to tell my manager he was making me uncomfortable. I told him and told him what happened. However, I forgot to mention I gave him a fake email address. My manager approached him, asked him to leave because he was making staff uncomfortable. The man argued with the manager in front of the entire restaurant's restaurant. He was saying he just wanted to have a conversation and that was it. He was refusing to leave. I was standing there during the entire argument and he pulls out the email address and says, If I'm making her uncomfortable, why did she give me her email address? And shoved it into our faces. Instead of explaining to him... And my manager, that was fake, I froze. I was angry and in complete disbelief of the situation. He eventually left. My manager hated me after that. I left not long after, and to this day, the man that manager still doesn't know the email was fake. I don't know why I never told her. I don't know why I froze. I don't know what the man wanted. I thought about it a lot since then, and it was it's it was almost a decade ago. I'm glad I didn't give him anything he wanted. But I wish I could tell my younger self to stick to her guns and don't take shit from anyone, especially a man who is using intimidating tactics to try and get what he wants, whatever that was. Fucking asshole. Right? Right? And the, the manager shouldn't have been upset with her, period. Like, even, like, she was just trying, like, you could be like, I was just trying to get him to go away. Yeah, exactly. Like, even if she did give him, like, a real email address, that's not an excuse to hate her. That's, like, that's, I just wanted to make him go away. You can block somebody's email. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, that's the quickest way to get away from it. 
the man and the manager are both the asshole. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. I know and we're not doing am I the asshole, but still. Right. They both are the asshole. And the thing is, is if the man, the manager being a woman should have immediately understood what had happened. Like, Seriously. So. Yeah. Fuck that guy. Yeah, I agreed. Um, okay, so I have a Tifu. Okay. Um, this is from five months ago, and the user is MT. Oh, wait, hold on. User Mount Siri. Okay, today I fucked up by punishing the sandwich thief with super spicy Carolina Reaper sauce. <laughs> In a shared hangar with several workshops, my friends and I rented a small space for our knife making enterprise. For a year, our shared kitchen and fridge functioned harmoniously, with everyone respecting one another's food. However, an anonymous individual began stealing my sandwiches, consuming half of each one, leaving bite marks as if to taunt me. <laughs> Initially, I assumed it was a one-off incident, but when it occurred again, I was determined to act. I, pre whoa, I prepared sandwiches with an extremely spicy Carolina Reaper sauce. A teaspoon in each, leaving a note warning about the consequences of stealing someone else's food and went out for lunch. Upon my return, chaos reigned. The atmosphere was one of panic and a woman's scream cut through the commotion, accompanied by a child's cry. The culprit turned out to be our cleaner's nine-year-old son. Oh, no. Who she had been bringing to work during his school's disinfection week. He had made a habit of pilfering from the fridge, bypassing the healthy lunches his mother had prepared in favor of my sandwiches. The child was in distress, suffering from the intense spiciness of the sauce. In my defense, I explained that the sandwiches were mine and I'd spiked them with hot sauce. The cleaner, initially re relieved by my explanation, suddenly became furious, accusing me of trying to harm her child. This resulted in an escalated situation with the cleaner reporting the incident to our landlord and threatening police intervention. The incident strained relations within the other workshops, siding with the cleaner due to her status as a mother. Consequently, our landlord has given us a month to relocate, adding to her financial struggles. My friends, too, are upset with me. I maintain my innocence, arguing that I had no idea a child was the food thief and I would never intentionally harm a child. Nevertheless, it seems I am held responsible, accused of creating a huge problem from a seemingly trivial situation. The child is okay. No harm to the health was inflicted. It still was just an edible sauce, just very, very spicy. Too long didn't read, accidentally fed a little boy an insanely spicy sandwich. <laughs> I, I, it's not his fault. The mom should have been, like, I take Eric to with, with me to work occasionally I take both of my kids to work occasionally. Are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, cool. My It made a weird clicking noise, and I want to make sure the call didn't cut again. Oh. Um, <laughs> I take Eric to work with me occasionally, and I take my other child out with me as well. And they know. They know not to touch other people's shit. And I'm sorry. If that's how that kid learned his lesson, that's how that kid learned his lesson not to touch other people's shit. That's what I'm saying, man. And why is the, like... If you're going to bring your kid to work, 
you need to teach them, like, don't fucking steal people's sandwiches. <laughs> right. Don't keep it. Well, and not only that, but keep an eye on your kid. Like, there's people who are there working, too. Like, don't don't let your kid be disrespectful to other people. Exactly. And everybody in the comments was like, the only fuck up here was that you told them your plan. <laughs> right. <laughs> they all said right, that he exactly. should have just been like, I just really like spicy sandwiches. Right. I, I don't know what happened. I just really <laughs> like not my fault that he keeps taking it. Exactly. So. Okay. Yeah. All that's right. fine. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> On to Gypsy Rose. Beep, 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 Today, since we were talking about childhood trauma and with the recent parole of Gypsy Rose Blanchard, we determined that who, who was a better example of childhood trauma. We are going to talk about the early life of Gypsy, what led to her murder of her mother, and the effects it had on her life. And what she plans to do now that she's paroled. All right. I may not have actually gone over a whole lot of details now that she's paroled, but that's okay. It's a six-page thing, so bear with me. Okay. On July 23rd of 1991, Gypsy Rose Blanchard was born to Claudine, Dee Dee, and Rod Blanchard. Dee Dee was born in Louisiana in 1967 as a child People, as a child, people remember Dee Dee for stealing from her family what they thought was a direct reaction to not getting her way. At one oh point God. in time, yeah, at one point in time, she worked as a nurse's aide, and people have mentioned they believe she might have killed her own mother in 1997 but oh. by denying her food. Yeah. Rod was only 17 when Dee Dee, 24 at the time, became pregnant. They married shortly after learning about the pregnancy, but on his 18th birthday, Rod woke up and rose and realized he had married Dee Dee for the wrong reasons, and the two separated shortly before Gypsy's arrival. Rod remained active in Gypsy's early life, and by three months, three months old, Dee Dee was convinced that Gypsy had sleep apnea and began taking what? her to the hospital. Yeah. I mean, sleep apnea is possible in infants, but yeah, at three months but old. Yeah, that, okay. After many nights spent with monitors and testings, testing, it was determined by the doctors that there was no signs of apnea. Dee Dee was, or of the apnea, Dee Dee was determined to prove she had. This was just the first sign of trouble for young Gypsy Rose as her mother became confident and believed that Gypsy had many other medical issues, excuse me, that she attributed to unspecified chromosomal disorder. At the age of seven or eight, Gypsy was in a very minor motorcycle accident where her knee received a deep abrasion. Dee Dee claimed the doctor gave Gypsy a wheelchair to use to allow her injured knee to heal. It was also around this same t age that Dee Dee began telling people that Gypsy had muscular dystrophy Ugh. as well as leukemia and forced young Gypsy to use a walker. The list of symptoms began to grow and included asthma, hearing and visual impairments, and seizures. When Rod remarried and Dee Dee began to isolate Gypsy from him, um, even though he praised her for her dedication to their, their what he believed ailing daughter, he continued to pay child support and tried to talk to Gypsy over the phone when he could. 
It was also believed Dee Dee pulled her daughter from school as early as kindergarten and as late as second grade. So there's no actual record of when she was pulled from school. Hmm. The, the last known record was at least second grade in that, uh, but they, it could have been as early as kindergarten. Jesus. She home, yeah. She homeschooled her to isolate her further. Around this time, around the time Rod remarried, Dee Dee and Gypsy moved in with Dee Dee's father and stepmother. During this time, it is believed Dee Dee had began to poison her stepmother, creating a chronic illness while the two lived there. During that time, Dee Dee was arrested for several minor offenses, including writing back bad checks. Yeah. Yeah. When the pirate Pitrees began to regularly confront her about her treatment of Gypsy and expressed suspicion about her role in her stepmother's health, Dee Dee left with Gypsy for New Orleans suburb of Slidell. Her stepmother's health returned to normal shortly afterward. Yeah, so further proof she was had something to do with it. Yeah, in Slidell. Huh? Sorry, sorry. No. Um, I I watched Mommy Dead and Dearest, but it's been a few years since I watched that, so I am relearning. <laughs> that's that's absolutely fine. I there we go. Um, yeah, nope, you're absolutely fine. And I don't, I don't know. I haven't seen that, so I don't know that one very well. Oh my uh, god, you have so many things you have to watch. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't do well when I don't know the ending. I mean, I know the ending of this, but that's beyond the point. <laughs> All right. Uh, in Sidel, or Slidell, the two lived in subsidized housing where Dee Dee paid bills using the child support from Rod and the state assistance they received for the onslaught of Gypsy's medical issues. Gypsy's, Gypsy was treated at the Tulane Medical Center and Children's Hospital of New Orleans during this time, where a muscle biopsy was taken, tested, and showed no signs of muscular dystrophy. But Dee Dee was able to receive treatment for other reported medical issues. Gypsy did receive several surgeries over the course of their time in Slidell, and Dee Dee would take her into the ER over the smallest ailments. Hurricane Katrina hit in 2005, destroying the, ho- the home that they were living in, in Sidel or Slidell. I, ca- I, can- I keep me- messing up the I and the L. Dee Dee sought help for her and Gypsy in Covington in a shelter that was set up for those with disabilities. This was when Dee Dee began to claim that Gypsy's medical records, including her birth certificate, were ruined in the flooding after <laughs> and, and aftermath. In the flooding and aftermath of Katrina, it was a doctor from the Ozarks that suggested that Dee Dee and Gypsy relocate to Dee Dee's home state of Missouri. The following month, they were airlifted there. At first, they rented a house in Aurora, Missouri until 2008 when Habitat for Humanity built them a small home in Springfield. The home came equipped with a wheelchair ramp a hot t- and a hot tub to help Gypsy to help with Gypsy's conditions. The story of a single mother with a severely disabled daughter forced forced to flee Katrina's devastation received considerable local media attention. And the community often pitched in to help the woman who now went by Claudinia Blanchard and whom they knew as Dee Dee. So she still continued to go by Dee Dee, just a whole different name. Stupid. Yeah. 
Rod tried to remain in contact with Gypsy during these times, continuing to pay monthly child support payments as well as send gifts. Him and his wife had even made several attempts to visit in person, but every time Dee Dee would create lies and excuses as to why they could not make the visit work. Dee Dee would tell friends and neighbors that Gypsy's father was an abusive alcoholic and drug addict who could not handle his daughter's many, many medical conditions. <laughs> Both Gypsy and Dee Dee received many glamorous trips to Disney World, free flights to the doctor's appointments, and even backstage passes to Miranda Lambert concerts all through the Make-A-Wish Foundation. People found Gypsy to be extremely charming at just five foot, nearly toothless smile, large glasses, and childlike voice, and a bald head. Dee Dee shaved Gypsy's head regularly to keep the appearance of a child going through chemo. Ugh. Dee, yeah, Dee Dee took a feeding tube and oxygen tank where they went, further locked down on the many illnesses that Gypsy had. Medical interventions continued. Dee Dee had some of Gypsy's saliva glands treated with Botox, then extracted altogether. What the fuck? Yep, to control her pur pur purported drooling. Gypsy later claimed her mother induced drooling by using a topical anesthesia or anesthetic to numb her gums before doctor's visits. Oh my god, I didn't know that. The lack of saliva glands, coupled with the side effects of anti-seizure medication she was given, caused Gypsy's already few teeth to decay to the point that the majority of her front teeth were extracted and replaced by a bridge. Tubes were implanted into her ears to control her myrid purported ear infections. Dee Dee lied about Gypsy's age and even went as far as forging at least one birth certificate. She even told Rod during a phone call, a birthday phone call, Gypsy's 18th birthday, to not mention her real age because Gypsy believed she was only 14 years old. Oh my god. Yeah, she would give the wrong birth date for herself and also different names as she continued to what I like to call doctor shop. <laughs> a doctor in Springfield area began to suspect Munch Munchausen's by proxy, but did not report it. And Dee Dee stopped bringing Gypsy to him once, she made, once he had made the comment that there was no reason Gypsy couldn't walk on her own. Yet, someone during this time did call child services and when confronted about the medical history and incorrect information on medical records, Dee Dee simply explained it was so her abusive ex could not find them. This answer was accepted with no further investigation and the case was closed. Yep. They didn't even contact Rod at all. What fucking drives me wild during all this is that all these doctors, people, whatever, did all these procedures on her without actual proof of anything being wrong right and i don't know if they were exploratory surgeries or what because in next week's episode the so the episode after this we're doing um medical trauma mm. and there is one i talk about three different cases and one of them goes he was having exploratory surgery um to see what huh. was wrong Oh, when you hear that one, it's going to piss you off even more. So, like, that's just, oh, like, wait. the base. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's just the base. So. um, Okay. But Gypsy was becoming older and wiser. She attended fantasy conventions since 2001. 
It was during a 2011 event when Gypsy, who was actually 20 years old at the time, was found inside the room of another male attendee's room who she had met online in an attempt to escape. Dee Dee produced the false papers showing Gypsy's incorrect age, and she threatened the man with charges. Gypsy recalled her mother smashing her computer once they returned home. Dee Dee later told Gypsy that she had filed paperwork with the police claiming that Gypsy was mentally incompetent, leading Gypsy to believe that if she attempted to go to the police for any help, they would not believe her. Sometime around 2012, Gypsy... Who continued to use the internet after her mother had gone to bed to avoid her tightening supervision made contact with Nicholas Gojon. Gojon. <laughs> a man. I fuck. I struggle with last names. Um, a man around her age from Big Bend, Wisconsin, whom she had met on a Christian single website. Gojon has a criminal record for indecent exposure and a history of mental illness, sometimes reported as disassociative identity disorder. And he was also, uh. he is also on the autism, he, I'm going to say the autism spectrum because I don't like the way that's worded. He is also on the autism spectrum. Okay. In 2014, Gypsy confided to 23-year-old neighbor Aaliyah Woodsman C., who, unaware that Gypsy was closer to her own age, considered herself a big sister. That she and Gojon had discussed eloping and had even chosen names for potential children. Gypsy, who had five separate Facebook accounts, and Gojon flirted online, their exchanges sometimes using BDSM elements, which Gypsy had since claimed was more what he was interested in. Woodman C. tried to talk her out of it, still thinking Gypsy was too young and possibly taking advantage by a sexual predator. She considered Gypsy's plan just fantasies and dreams, and nothing like this would ever really take place. Despite Dee Dee's efforts to prevent her from using the internet, which went as far as destroying her daughter's phone and laptop, Gypsy maintained contact with Woodsman C., who saved printouts of her post until 2014. The next year, Gypsy arranged and also paid for Good John to meet her mother in Springfield. Her plan was for him to just casually bump into her while she and Dee Dee were at the movie theater. Both of them were in costume and apparently strike up a relationship that way and then later for her to introduce him to her mother. As soon as they did meet in person for the first time, Gojon says Gypsy led them to the bathroom, where the two had sex. The two continued their internet interactions and began developing a plan to kill Dee Dee. June of 2015, Gojon waited outside of the Blanchard home. Gypsy let him in and gave him a knife, duct tape, and gloves with the understanding he would murder Dee Dee. Gypsy proceeded to hide in the bathroom while Gojon stabbed Dee Dee 17 times in the back while she slept, resulting in her death. The two had sex in Gypsy's room before they took $4,000 of Dee Dee's money that she had sa been saving from Rod's child support payments and fled to a hotel. The couple could be seen on several cameras as well as by eyewitnesses. Gypsy wore a blonde wig and walked without assistance. The two mailed the murder weapon back to Wisconsin 
<laughs> before they caught a greyhound back to Wisconsin themselves. Both thought they were in the clear. No. <laughs> no, they were not. Concerning posts on Dee Dee's Facebook and unanswered calls made fa- friends worried. Police were called as as the modified van Dee Dee drove sat untouched in the driveway. It was hard for police to see in the windows as they had protective film on them and it was dimly lit inside. While well, police had to wait for the warrant to enter the home, a neighbor entered and found Gypsy's wheelchair and medical devices untouched. Shortly after, a warrant was issued to enter the home and Dee Dee's body was found. It did not take long for to find Gypsy and Good John as she was posting under her mom's Facebook and the IP address for the post was quickly tra- traced. Both were arrested. After the disclosure of how Dee Dee had treated Gypsy, sympathy for her as the victim of a violent murder rapidly shifted to her daughter to her daughter as a long-term victim of child abuse. While the charge a uh, charge of first-degree murder can carry the death penalty under Missouri law or life without parole, county prosecutor Dan Patterson announced he would not seek it for either Gypsy or Good John, calling the case extraordinary and unusual. <laughs> yeah, I, crazy, right? After her attorney obtained her medical records from Louisiana, he secured a plea bargain to second-degree murder for Gypsy. Gypsy was so undernourished up to this point during a, the year she was in county jail, a lawyer told a uh, lawyer told BuzzFeed that she had gained 14 pounds in in contrast to most of his clients who typically lose weight in that situation. In July of 2015, she accepted the plea bargain and was sentenced to 10 years in prison. During Good John's trial, Gypsy testified on the tr- uh, on the trial's third day. She said, well, she indeed suggested go- go John to Gojon that he kill Didi to end her mother's abuse. She had also considered getting pregnant by him in the hope that once she was carrying Gajan's child, Didi would have to accept him. Along with the knife that she gave to Gajan, she stole baby clothes from Walmart during a shopping trip so she could go ahead with either plan. However, she comment? said, yes. Okay. So... That's the only way she was, like, taught to form relationships is by trapping people. Yeah. Because that's what her fucking mother did. Exactly. And so I've seen so many things where people are like, she just wanted to trap him and she's no better than Dee Dee and stuff. And I'm like, bro, shut up. Like, well, the. She wasn't taught a normal way of forming a relationship. Exactly. Just like those abused kids in the fucking book I read. They're not taught how to form relationships, how to emotionally react in a correct way. I just... There's a lot of things that went wrong on this. Obviously, murder is not good. But murder is not the the answer, but when you're limited. <laughs> exactly. When you don't know how to deal with hard situations and you're feeling trapped and you've been abused your entire fucking life. I understand. Right. Yep. Anyway, that's all. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're good. Um, however, she said, good, John. 
never told her what he thought about the pregnancy plan. After four days, the case was sent to the jury. Jurors had the option of finding Gajan guilty of one or three murder charges, or one of three murder charges, involuntary manslaughter, second degree or first-degree murder, or not guilty of any of them. After approximately two hours of deliberation, they returned with a verdict, and Gajan was found guilty of first-degree murder and armed criminal action. As he should be. In February of 2019, he was sentenced to life in prison for the murder conviction, the only possible option since prosecutors had declined to seek the death death penalty. Gajan asked Judge David Jones for leniency on the armed criminal action charge, which carries a minimum sentence of only three years, saying that he had fallen blindly in love with Gypsy. He received a sentence of 25 years on that charge, which is concurrent with his life sentence. I, no offense, Gajan, but tell me what the three years versus the 25 years was going to make a difference on your life sentence. Right. Um, he may have the option to parole, though. So maybe that's what it had to do with it. I don't know. Maybe. I don't know. But yeah. I think or I think he needs to have life in prison. I'm glad that he like got first degree murder because he took advantage of a very bad situation. Right. Um, and I don't know if you saw this while you were doing your research. But what I remember is not only did he stab her mother he like sexually assaulted her as well no he did not he had oh. thought he had thought about raping Dee, Dee but he, uh sexually assaulting her or her cor- corpse but he did not do it oh so he did okay yeah i was gonna put that in there but since it, we were mostly looking at the abuse like the child abuse Versus right. him, I was like, is that very prominent to our current story? Not really. That's fair. Um, well, yeah. I'm glad that I was misinformed because that was Yeah. No, bad. no, no, you weren't. <laughs> I don't think you were misinformed. It was probably just mun- misunderstood because he did say that he had thought about it. So. Mm. Yep. Got it. Uh, yep. Um, okay, so he received the life sentence. As of December 28th of 2023... Gypsy was paroled after serving eight of her 10-year sentence. During her eight years in prison, she married her current husband in a small prison ceremony on July 21st of 2022. The two plan on having a larger reception now that she has been released from prison. It was her husband who picked her up from prison. Or who who picked her up. That was weird. Uh, That was was (laughs) a lot of prisons in a row. I'm finally free, Blanchard shared on TikTok. In a TikTok video on December 31st, I just wanted to send a quick video to thank everyone who for the massive amounts of support that I've been getting on social media. Everyone has been really, really nice and supportive, and I appreciate that. The end. I hope that she, well, obviously, well... I hope that in prison she had massive amounts of therapy, which I think she did. That's what I was going to say. I... I I'm sure that they offered her some kind of fit therapy while she was in there. Yeah. So, which she should have gone to a hospital instead of prison, but I digress. Anyway, I agree. Not um, that the hospitals are much better anymore, but no. But um I hope that she goes on to do something amazing and wonderful with her life. 
<laughs> sorry, <laughs> we're just trying to come down the stairs, not making noise. <laughs> anyway um and i hope that she's super happy and doesn't have to deal with any of this bullshit anymore i agree i think she she looks happy in all of her recent interviews and stuff that i've seen and so i think i she looks healthy too and that's that's the important part is because she she did not look healthy for a very long time and she looks healthy it's probably one of those very rare cases where you leave prison healthier than when you left. Yeah, yeah. Where so. it actually is rehabilitating. <laughs> yeah, where it's actually good for her. Like, I'm sure, like, she... Because I honestly believe she knew what she was doing was wrong, but I honestly think that she didn't have any other way out. Yeah, exactly. Because if you think about it, even if she got pregnant, and for whatever reason, Dee Dee was like, yeah, he's good, come on in, Nicholas. Um... Like, how long would that last as a happy reunion before something went wrong anyway? Exactly. And the mom would have done something to the child, I'm assuming. She yeah, it, she would. She'd probably just refocus her energy onto the child and, ooh, Gypsy is miraculously better, but my granddaughter is super fucking sick now. Or the grandkid. Weird. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah. Okay, I got to test this. Okay. Are we are we ready to move on to Florida men? <gasps> Gonna talk about Florida men. <laughs> <laughs> very nice, very nice. Yes, oh, instead of me. dumb ways to die today, uh, we're doing dumb ways to Florida men. <laughs> exactly. So uh, these are from the good old Tiki Talks. These are just headlines. Yep. These are just headlines of what Florida people have done in the f recently, I'm guessing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Florida man arrested for practicing karate by kicking swans in the head. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. That is valid as fuck. I fucking hate swans. I was attacked by two when I was younger. So fuck them. <laughs> You you have some you have some trauma you need to work out. I have them, huh? swan trauma. <laughs> <laughs> Florida man claims he only drank at stoplights and not while driving. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> I guess he wasn't drinking and driving technically. <laughs> nope that that's what that's what his point was. <laughs> Florida man arrested for throwing pizza at father after finding out his dad helped birth him <laughs> what he was upset that his dad helped birth him and so he threw a pizza at him pizza didn't deserve that i agree i i don't think the dad did either that was very nice of the dad to help bring him into this well, yeah. world justice um, for pizza and dad <laughs> justice for pizza and dad our next sticker combo um <laughs> Florida man, 37, arrested for kidnapping 27 people and forcing them to play Yahtzee for 36 straight hours. <laughs> well, how do you even do that? I'm not even... I got... I'm going to take a screenshot of this because you got to see the photo that comes along with it. And I'm okay. going to send that to you right now. Um, okay. Um, anyway... But this was the one I knew that we had to do these today. 
when I when I read that one, I was like, okay, y'all see it is. <laughs> All <laughs> right. See. Did you send it to me? <laughs> oh, there. Oh my god. <laughs> Instagram. <laughs> That's why I sent it to you is so that you can share that one for the dumb for the dumb things to do in Florida. Um Florida man calls 911 to report lack of vodka. Like at his house? I it doesn't These are just headlines. There is no other information included. Okay. All right. Yep. And last but not least, Florida man arrested for hanging on traffic light and shitting on cars passing (laughs) underneath. (laughs) Was he trying to be a bird? (laughs) I guess. That's my my only. Yep. Yep. That's amazing. (laughs) I'm going to maybe I'll have to see if I can't find more Florida man headlines that's good and mix them in like do do one week of dumb ways to die and another week of florida man does stupid shit i like it hey we we made good timing we did it (laughs) we did it after the week we had this is a miracle it's a miracle (sighs) all right if you would like to support us you can go to patreon.com forward slash just me and my trauma podcast or you can support us by going to buymeacoffee.com forward slash just trauma podcast. Uh, and you can Perfect. also like and share. Yeah, like, and like share. share, five star reviews. Remember, we're, you can be an asshole if you do a five star review and we'll you, read it. You can call me whatever you want as long yeah. as it's a five star review. As long as it's a five star. If you give us a one star, no. If you want to be mean, give us a five star. We'll read it. <laughs> yep. And I will read it on air, and I yes. will laugh hysterically at what you think of me the whole time. Yes. And if uh, you want to see all the pictures that we talk about, especially this funny ass one, <laughs> <laughs> one that Jesse sent me, uh, you can follow us on Instagram at just me and my trauma underscore pod. Um, and if you want to send us your own gloom breakers stories, Florida men, dumb ways to die. Any of them. Any any of them say hi. Um, you can email us at justtraumapodcast at gmail.com. There we go. However, if you want to be rude and say mean things to us, you can't do it through the email. No. Because I won't read it. You have to give me a five. You have to give me a five-star review if you want me to read your mean comment online. Exactly. It's like, we'll let you be a dick all you want. Just help us get popular. <laughs> yeah, that's all we ask. That's all we ask. If you want to be a dick, we're cool with that. Just be a good dick about it. <laughs> be a good dick. <laughs> be a good dick. All right, everybody. All right, trauma mamas. All right, I am going mamas. to work. Yep, you are going to. Oh, oh, wow. Yeah, you have an hour until you go to work. Well, I le- we're going to, we'll probably, Eric's coming with me tonight, but we're probably going to leave a little bit early because I got laundry to dry, so. Got it. <laughs> yep. But, yes. So I'm on my way to work. Uh, Kelsey's probably on her way to bed. 
Yeah. Or to kill a puppy, a small terrorist. And we will see you guys next week when we talk about medical traumas. Medical traumas. And then um, we will also record, no matter what, we are going to record um, in the next two weeks, um, The Soddered Family. Also that. A lot. (laughs) We're going to, I want everybody, when you listen to this episode, please send me all the good vibes that my house doesn't just collapse on me and I die in the next few days. Yeah, please don't do that. I need a podcast host. <laughs> All right. Goodbye, Trauma Mamas. Goodbye. Bye. And now it's time for some bloopers. Pew, 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 pew. And this is Just Me just and My me Trauma. And my <laughs> We'll get there. Buy me a coffee dot com backslash. Hold on. Why do <laughs> you do this every damn time? Why can I not remember this? It's so easy too. So, or you can buy us a coffee at buymeacoffee.com backslash or forward slash. I don't fucking know. One of the slashes. <laughs> Just trauma podcast. That is four words. I did not say that correctly, though. Bessel van der Kolk. Fuck fuck me. (sighs) MD. (laughs) Okay. So, what else? (laughs) She's stuck. She can't come down the stairs. Oh, Jesus. Of a picture, they'd like tell them what they experienced. Hold on, our automatic feeders for the cats are going off. (laughs) (laughs) Um, let me fix this real quick. Oh, that's not what I wanted. Okay, okay, so the children in their control group also lived in poverty and in a oh my god, hi. Animals. Children. Finn. Stop it. No, don't nudge me. No. (laughs) (sighs) Anyway. (sighs) Okay. I swear I read this like three times. At least. (laughs) Um... Eric, what are the dogs doing? Oh, you're in the bathroom? Okay. (laughs) No, stay there, laptop. Do not fall. Hold on. Stop chewing on the cord. (sighs) Oh, God. Okay. Everything's fine. We're going to get through. Okay. Yes, we're going to make it. We're going to make it. The control. Oh, my God. I can't. Um, it, (laughs) babe, (laughs) you know what she said?
She said, I am going to be as quiet as possible when I come in. It's fine. I thought you could have blamed on the dogs and nobody would have ever known. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it sounded like my house blew up. (laughs) No, it didn't. I know what that sounds like. (laughs) Oh, okay. Fair. (laughs) 